I'm going to, in a few moments, do what I've done at the beginning of, of uh, both my talks and just ask you what the Lord may be saying to you. But before I do that, so you can be thinking about that. Uh, but before I do that, um, let me give you a little feedback that I've been testing. There we go. Um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, After the talk last night, particularly after the talk this morning, um, several people came up to me and um, asked... Or just kind of made the remark about uh, young people and how it's so hard to get young people. And British Columbia particularly, it's just kind of hard ground. And uh, these are young kids that have been raised in the faith. Uh, one mother came to me and said her uh, daughter and son-in-law live in, I think, I think that's right, or maybe it's son and daughter-in-law. But anyway, they live in Austin, Texas. And I said, well, give me that email and I'll contact them. Because you never know what little thing might kind of point to something that... We'll get something, uh, somebody involved in their faith. And it's a question we all have. And, and, and as we looked around uh, the room this morning, someone brought up that question. So um, I met yesterday, I think it was yesterday, uh, uh, Peter Klenner's intern named Nick. And uh, Nick is by far the youngest person here, uh, other than the little kids running around. And uh, so I thought it would be good to hear from Nick. And uh, would you like that? Okay. Come on up, Nick. And uh, uh, let me see if this thing is on. Let me figure out how to do that. Um, <clears throat> so I just met Nick the other day and and um, heard a little bit about his story and talked to him what he's doing. And here right there, stand up there, right here in the middle. Scoot over two steps. There we go. And I'm going to pray for him. He's done this before, I think, but not maybe in front of you all. So, uh, Nick, you're our token young person here, so you get to talk. Lord God, uh, bless Nick, and thank you for his life, your anointing upon him, his spirit, his maturity, his grace. And uh, bless him and be with him as he talks today and, and shares with us. And, and Lord, right now, we pray that, that his word, your word through him, will go out to all of our children, to all of our grandchildren. And people that we know, Lord, that aren't walking with you and, and that know, you know they've been brought up in the faith, uh, but they're all going to have their own story. But we pray, Father, that your anointing and spirit that worked through Nick will continue to work through those people and give us courage and confidence in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. Right, buddy. Bless you. Okay, well, uh, yeah, I met, I met Bishop Philip yesterday and... Uh, and we got talking, and I told a little bit about my story, and, and we've been talking today. And, and uh, yeah, the topic came up earlier about, about young people and whatnot. And um, so Philip asked me to, to give a little bit of a talk in my testimony, and a huge privilege. I really thank you for, for doing so. Um, before I do that, can we just give a round of applause to all the leaders and speakers and everybody who put this together? It was such a privilege. So many people behind the scenes that, you know, even, even people in the kitchen as well, all the little things that, that make this work. And it is a huge privilege to be here. I really thank all of you for, for doing this. Um, so, yeah, I'll give, give a bit of, uh, bit of my testimony, where I came from. Um, so I grew up, well, we came from uh, England in 98 and uh, came to Canada. And it was probably around the year 2000 or so we started going to St. Mark's, which... Uh, um, actually, uh, Jim, Jim Ferguson was a uh, pastor at the time, and soon after that, uh, Peter took over. Um, and uh, through, through those years of me in elementary school and in high school, going to church and to the youth group and everything was really good and doing you know, the Christian thing and whatnot. And 
politics in the church and you know big 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 fuss and, and then there's a huge split and, and so um, we left the Anglican Church of Canada and, and started doing church out of Peter's home for a while um, as some of you know um, so that was about grade 10 grade 11 for me in uh, in, in high school and um, soon after that I kind of fell away kind of stopped going um, to church I don't really know what happened but uh, just wasn't yeah, feeling myself, I just kind of fell away, wasn't, wasn't going. So, those last couple of years of high school, I still, I mean, out of all my friends, I was still, you know, the good kid. I was still, you know, didn't do any of the bad stuff. My first drink was 19, you know, so I didn't, didn't drink at all before then, and, you know, I was, I was, did the good things, but I wasn't, wasn't going to church, so I was, uh, my grounding in faith was really starting to be chipped away and, and slip away. And, uh, 2010, the Olympics, I remember I met a, uh, a girl downtown. She wasn't a, uh, a Christian, but she was kind of cute. <laughs> and, uh, and so we started talking and, and uh, started, started dating. And, and uh, we quickly got into a very sinful relationship. And as some of you know, that, that testimony, yeah, it, it got pretty bad. And uh, so we were together for about a year. And, and, you know, we really cared for each other. We really loved each other. Um, but it wasn't built on the love of Christ. And so anything that isn't will eventually fail and will eventually break down. And I remember one night just really feeling lost and feeling, feeling broken. You know, this, this relationship wasn't satisfying, which I thought that it would. And, uh, and, and Jesus was calling me home. And he said, come, come to me. I forgive you. And uh, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't even remember... If it happened in a day or over a couple of days, but my mindset totally changed. I, I, I was thinking, you know, at that point, it was like nothing could stop me from going back to the Lord. I, I told the girl, you know, we can't, we can't do this anymore. I, 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 we got to break off the relationship because God's calling me home. And, and she didn't understand not being a believer. Um, and, you know, she, she said she would even become a Christian, you know, so that we didn't have to break up. Total wrong thing. But... Uh, you know, nothing would, was going to stop this. Nothing was going to stop me from, from coming back. And uh, so we broke that off. And, and soon after that, I, I started coming back to church faithfully. Told, told work, you know, I can't work on Sundays anymore. I'm going to church. And uh, that became, you know, that became a necessity for me. And it was something that, you know, there, there wasn't any question about going, going back to service on Sundays. Like, this is what God is calling me to. And I think the thing that really... Um, called me back into, into faith and going back to church was the, the grounding in faith and the grounding in just constant washing of the word. You know, it's the, the daily washing and, and, you know, all the time just hearing the word and then being transformed through that. And, uh, you know, Peter's mentioned a couple of times during sermons, it, when we were going through Acts, you know, there's, there's sentences where it can be a whole year, a couple of years in one sentence uh, you know, through the, through the time period of Paul being in, in a, uh, a town somewhere. You know, and then through all that time, it's just a daily scripture, you know, daily doing life, doing the journey of life with people. And uh, so I quickly realized with, with friends in other big churches and whatnot, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of, of big, you know, the big lights and stuff that, that attracts a lot of young people. But we didn't have that in All Saints. And that was really good. You know, I, I'd, I'd, out, of, um, out of our congregation, there isn't a lot of young people. I'm, I'm one of the, the, you know, the younger guys, my, my brother and a couple others. And, and, uh, but that's totally okay. You know, there's so many um, p- 
people older than us, a lot more experienced and have so much value. And that's something that I've, re- I've learned. Um, I can really appreciate that. And uh, so I think it's a huge problem in our culture is this hype thing, especially for the younger generation. You know, it's, it's a very social thing and, and you know, their friends are doing it. And yeah, they may get something out of that from the Lord, but very much so it's because it's their friends are going. And then, you know, they've got this group thing going. And so I think we, we, we brought up this question earlier today, a few people, you know, what is the mission doing to address young people and, and how's that going and, and young people getting into, into the, the mission and whatnot. And I've got to say, there, there is hope. You know, all, all God needs is one person. And I can tell you right now that there's a few young people in the room here today. You know, I see Iggy and, and Anna and, and Josh and, and uh, his wife and, and a few others. And all God needs is one. And we've got all of these, you know, young people in the church and in the mission. And I really feel, you know, God is, is bringing in new things. And, and there's going to be a time for young people. Because the thing is, young people, this hype thing, you can do it so much, but eventually you're going to get burned out. And I know some of us know that. We've been in churches, we've experienced that. And, and as a real young guy, learning that now is huge. Being able, knowing that I can, uh, you know, this grounding, this constant washing of the word, this daily thing is really what the Lord wants and where I can have so much in that. It's really encouraging. So I really want to encourage all of you. Anybody who has any worries about the, you know, the demographic and the, and the age group thing, God's got it under control. God's got a plan for it. All he needs is one. You know, God can do great things for one person. And he's got a few in the room here today. So... You know, anybody who's had that with, you know, their children or family members or anything, keep praying. Mm-hmm. Keep praying for them. You know, and if, if they're feeling burned out or something, you tell them, just you know, remind them of this daily scripture thing. This daily washing. There's so much in, the, in, in older generations. There's so much value in that. And I thank for you for all of you that have so much to offer a young guy like me. That is huge. It is a privilege to be here with all of you and to learn from all of you. So keep praying because God's going to do big things. And all the, all the generation stuff, don't worry about that because God doesn't, doesn't care about the age group so much. He doesn't care about the numbers. He cares about the hearts. And there is heart here today mm-hmm. and he's going to use Amen. that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Okay, I want to ask you then, um, what did you hear? What um, His testimony, his talk, just, just uh, raise your hand. What, what is one thing you heard or different things that you heard? God is in control. Yep. What else? Keep on praying. It only takes one. Daily washing in the Word. Do what? There's hope. God has a plan. Okay. Yeah. Age doesn't matter. Amen to that. Age doesn't matter. What did you hear in his story? Is a story similar to your kid's story? Is a story similar to your kid's story where they've walked away, you don't know how long, 
but they're still kind of walking away. Is that similar to your kid's story? Or was it similar to your story? Or similar to my story? Then what happened? Walked away, living in a bad relationship. What happened? You remember what happened? Huh? Empty. empty. Why was it empty? These relationships, they don't, they don't fulfill. Even the greatest of these relationships don't fulfill. Even the greatest of our relationships in a committed marriage between a man and a woman, it's the penultimate, it's not the ultimate. The ultimate is what? Jesus. Their relationship with God. Nothing can fill that. As we learn that now, as Nick has learned that now, um, and as we, even committed marriages, learn that, um, when the ultimate is our relationship with God, our desire for God, His desire for us, what does that do in a marriage? It takes the pressure off. My mate doesn't have to fulfill all of my desires. I don't have to put that much pressure on him or her. And the other person says, same with me. It takes the burden off. It takes the burden off of single people who think they've got to find their soulmate to be happy. Marriage is not about happiness. Joy and happiness can be byproducts of a committed marriage. But if it's based on happiness, it's not going to last very long because happiness is based on happenings. And happenings are not always going to be pleasant. Particularly when two sin-filled people are put together with their sharp angles and all that kind of thing. And, and then they just can't work it out. And my point is that he is pointing to a very deep spiritual truth. That there is an aching and a longing in the heart that only God can fulfill. In one of the Alpha talks, uh, Alpha is that practical introduction to the Christian faith. You've heard of it. Uh, Nicky Gummel talks about, um, actually he's quoting someone else. He talks about no matter how many Toys and stuff and money and sex and TVs and entertainment and all that stuff that affects the affluenza in each of us. No matter how much we put that in our heart, there will be an ultimate aching and a longing that only God can fulfill. And He's learned that at a young age. I mean, what are you, 12? <laughs> It's fantastic. So, I'm in college. I'm, I'm, I'm about, I'm a freshman. And I've gone out for the football team. So, you report a couple of weeks early. And um, this is small school football, college football. And um, I see that, that I have a chance to maybe start on the team as an offensive lineman. And um, so, I made a deal with God. Have I told you this? I haven't told you this, have I? I made a deal with God. Don't make deals with God. Anyway, I made a deal with God. And I said, and because I had just gone that summer to a, um, oh, what was that guy's name? Basic Youth Seminar. Uh, Bill Gothard, Basic Youth Seminar stuff for a week. And all, I was all excited about my faith and everything. And um, so I made a deal with God. And I said, if I can get a starting position, then I will start an FCA Program Fellowship of Christian Athletes here on campus, you know, 
I had no idea what that meant exactly. I'd been involved in one sort in high school, but nevertheless, that was my deal. But sure enough, I'm starting the first game, start all through uh, the um, um, all through the season. The season ends, and I forget about that deal, of course, right? So that's November. Then I go home for Christmas. I'm not thinking about the deal. And, of course, I've done nothing to to do my part of it. I come back after Christmas for the second semester there in college, and I get in the mail, honest to God, I got in the mail a packet from the FCA headquarters, how to start an FCA program in your school. (laughs) Now, I wasn't real smart. I wasn't real spiritual, but I got that. Oh, yeah, that deal. And and then, so we, we made some stabs at it. And we had a few meetings, and then I kind of lost interest, and no one else was kind of pulling my button, and and so I just kind of forgot about it, and moved on in my college experience, which was one step forward and several steps backwards often, thinking about God, but not committed, not surrendered, told you that story last night. And so I want you to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 21. The parable of the two sons, Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. Uh, the, the, The title of this talk is The Word Calling Us Out. And the calling us out has all kinds of consequences. And you heard Nick's story about how the Word called him out. Calling him out, exposing, exposing the emptiness by God's grace, and calling him out, Nick, you're empty. Come back to me. Those are the words he heard from Jesus. Come back to me. And uh, he has said yes to God, and then he kind of said no, and then he's kind of saying yes again. This is the parable of the two sons. You've heard this before. I go to college. I kind of say yes and make a deal. And then I kind of forget and say no, and then I come back, and 15 years later, the nickel begins to drop in my life, 15 years after college, 10 or 15 years after college, and, uh, and I begin to kind of get it. It's the story of all of us. And this story is, is uh, uh, right here in this passage, short, short little parable, let me read it. What do you think, Jesus asked? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. He went to the other son and said the same, and he said, I go, sir, but did not. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, easily, the first. Jesus said, Now truly I say to you, Pharisees, Religious leaders, uppity-ups, that's who he's talking to. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the gay and lesbians, the pornographers, the cheaters, the scammers, they'll go into the kingdom of God before you. I'm adding a few words to my translation. (laughs) For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, You did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Notice the word afterward comes 
twice. Get to that here in a moment. Jesus is in a series of parables. The way Matthew has put his gospel together, um, uh, he has some parables. Some of these parables are in all the synoptic gospels, and, and some are just only in Matthew. This is a brief one, and he puts this parable together. He is having his audience is or are the religious leaders and the chief priests and people of that nature. They've just asked him, by whose authority do you do things, Caesar's or, or God's? And, and then he said, well, show me a coin. And then they do all that kind of coin thing. And, and, uh, and then he kind of questions them. Uh, they're trying to trap him. And uh, it's what Satan does. In the trapping that Satan does in the, in the temptations in the wilderness, that's exactly what these guys are trying to do. And so they're coming uh, to him and they're asking him all these kind of questions. And, and uh, he's maneuvering his way kind of through these questions in, in ways that ends up trapping them. But now he tells this parable and he asks the question. So what do you think? That's an open-ended question. It's designed to draw them into the conversation. It is designed to bring them to a realization of a mirrored reflection of themselves. As an open-ended question, I was trained as a lawyer never to ask an open-ended question. Never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Because you never know the answer you may get. And if you're not prepared for the answers you may get, the jury then will uh, see that and see that you're not prepared and they'll side with the witness and your case will be lost. Never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Always ask leading questions. And that's just one way of questioning that we were taught as trial lawyers. So I think it's interesting that Jesus opens up with this question. So what do you think? I kind of got the got their attention and Jesus here then is going to tell a parable and the, uh, what parables do they're stories you know that and they have a variety of different meanings usually they have just kind of one main meaning but sometimes they have more than that and they're designed to get the attention of his audience uh, to to see the unacknowledged aspects of their character uh, that they otherwise wouldn't see other than someone telling them a story Jesus is a great storyteller, but he's not just a great storyteller. He's also the son of God and his stories have a point. And the point is to bring about a mirrored reflection of who we are. And he is, to be sure, setting them up. Understand this, that Jesus motivation all along, even in talking to his enemies, the task, uh, the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, those people, he, he has this, this unabashed thinking that, that, that maybe, just maybe one more parable is going to help change their hearts because he believes hearts can be changed. He believed it then and he believes it now. He believes it for you. He believes it for your kids. He believes it for your grandkids. He believes it for Nick. Your heart can change. Age doesn't matter. God is in control. Is that good news? It's great news. And so in his wisdom, he tells the story. And uh, as he does oftentimes throughout his ministry. And what he is hoping to bring about is what I call internal self-awareness. 
It's the greatest sign of emotional and spiritual health to have internal self-awareness. People who don't have internal self-awareness make decisions without thinking through the consequences. Just kind of jump out there without thinking how it's going to affect other people. They don't have a mechanism to look at themselves. They don't have a sense of self-examination. They don't have a sense of who they are in kind of the mirror reflection. If they can have internal self-awareness, then they can see things about themselves that can come to the light. And then by God, they can be healed. And transformation can take place. One of the greatest examples uh, is in the parable of the chapter before this, the parable of the landowner who goes out and hires somebody early in the morning and then later in the morning and then at noon, you know that story. And, and he goes all throughout the day hiring people and he promises the first one, this is what I'll pay you a denarius. He doesn't promise anything to the rest of them, but it says I'll treat you right. That's all he says to them. And so the last one hired gets paid as much as the first one. And, uh, uh, and then uh, there's this, wait a minute, you're making this guy equal... You're making him equal to us is their response, particularly the first one tired who had worked all day long. And then Jesus asked the question, wait a minute, are you jealous because I'm generous? Look at yourself. I'm creating a space of grace and you're jealous and envious because of my generosity. Internal self-awareness would say, You're right. That's not the kingdom way. It's a good way to run a business, treat people fairly, pay them what they work. I get all that. But you see, in the kingdom way, it's not about calculation and mathematics and negotiation and manipulation. In, in the kingdom way, we're prepared, you see, we are prepared for a God who calculates, who counts, uh, who measures, all that kind of, What we're not prepared for is always this grace that is provoked by a moral crisis or a spiritual crisis in our life and to where this grace continues to turn us upside down because it's an upside down world that we live in and He's actually, through His grace, trying to bring it right side up through you and through me. And it's this internal self-awareness where we can look at ourselves and say, what gives? Why? Why am I envious? Because other people, because God's generous to someone else. Why, why does my happiness depend upon that the others don't get what the same thing I get? Is there not enough happiness to go around? The anger in my passion is brought about by the fact of the generosity of God who, who promised them in nothing. They, he can give what He wants. In fact, the, the landowner says, wait a minute, can I do with... What I want, can I do with the, uh, anything I want with what I have? The sovereignty of God? You and I live in this grace-filled world that turns things upside down. This grace, this new math of grace. In fourth grade, they presented something to us called new math. I didn't understand it then. I don't understand it now. But I know this. I know grace is all about new math. Because it doesn't count. It doesn't weigh It just gives and gives and gives because that's the nature of truth. That's the nature of God. The only thing worth keeping is giving away. And generosity, His generosity is the basis of His authority in our life. Write that one down. It's good.
God's generosity is the basis of His authority in our life. His authority in our life is not based on, I'll make you do this, or, or I'm going to crush you if you don't do this, or, or I, I'm going to cajole you and all that. No, it's His generosity. He gives, and He gives, and He gives. And He sends, and He sends, and He sends. And as He does that, He is wooing us into this heart until we recognize that grace and say, I give up. That's what Nick said. I give up. And I'm not happy. He'd been exposed to the real thing. And by God's grace came back to it. But also by his agreement to that. Alright, so back to this parable. So in this parable then, we have this understanding of, of, um, of a relationship that, 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 as Jesus is talking to these Pharisees and to these tax, uh, chief, chief priests and, and, and these religious leaders, he is wanting to woo them into a relationship with him because truth always brings us to the embrace of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes? It's the way of truth. Look on the road to Emmaus. They're walking to Emmaus and Jesus walks right up beside them. Look at Mary Magdalene in the garden. John chapter 20, after the resurrection, she's confused. She doesn't see things correctly. She doesn't know what's going on. And, and there's a gardener. She thinks there's the gardener there in the garden. And she turns away from the tomb and says, and he says, what's wrong? And she says, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they put him. Like he's some kind of object. And Jesus says, Mary. And she says, Rabboni. It's that personal embrace that he is wanting to create for the task, for the chief priests and the religious leaders and as well as for you and for me or for anybody that you think is the scum of the earth. He wants to embrace their heart and their life as well. And then there's Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, scum, scum of the earth. I'm really scum of the earth. And I want to come to your place today. And then there's a woman at the well. Who's had five husbands and the man she's living with is not her husband. So six men. Who's the seventh man in her life? Jesus. What's the number of perfection? Seven. I told you that last night. By the way, my birthday comes up October 7th. I wear about 16 and a half uh, uh, neck and about... All right, so, but you see, there's always this, this embrace that he calls us into the presence with him. And his encounters with the people, his encounter with these chief priests and religious leaders is one that is pregnant with meaning because he's wanting to create the space of grace through the story so that they will respond to him. Because truly, as I said last night, God, the word, is closer to us than we are to ourselves. Right now. Right where you are and right where I am. And by God's grace, I can remind myself of that throughout the day. You're closer to me right now than I am to myself. You know me much deeper than I do myself. Reveal things about me that I need to know that I can be cleansed from. Show me. You are closer to me than I am to myself. As deep as he knows me, he loves me. This is the environment of grace. This is the nurturing space of grace that Jesus wants to create to his enemies. 
as well as to anyone else who will listen to him. And the only way to do it is to provoke a spiritual crisis. And that's what he's going to do in this story, in this parable. I think I said this last night, but the greatest reason that relationships break down is not because of conflict. It's not even because of sin, so to speak. It's not because of lack of communication. It's because of the lack of internal self-awareness. Of not being in touch with our brokenness. Not being in touch with who I am. And not being in touch with the God who's more present to me than I am to myself. Because when Claudia can say something to me or I can say something to her, I may not like to hear it. I can tell you oftentimes I don't like to hear it. But I also know it's usually true. What do I do? I put up my defenses. Or I go hide or I lick my wounds or or she'll have her own ways of reacting and things of that nature. And it's that internal self-awareness that over time, over 37 years of marriage, I'm learning. I bring the roses home before I go on a trip to Vancouver. Or I do the kinds of things that show her, hey, I'm thinking of it. I want these roses to remind you of how much I love you and how much I'll miss you while I'm gone. I don't always, I often don't get it right, but nevertheless, every now and then I do, and it's exciting uh, when I do. Anyway, so, um, so this is what happens. And, uh, so what do you think? Open in the question, but he's setting things up. A man had two sons, and notice the man goes to the first son. He is the one that goes to the sons. He doesn't summon the sons to him. He doesn't say, service, go get my son and bring him over here. This, in all these parables, it's the landowner who, who goes out and meets to the idle people and says, you want a job? Come work. I can pay you. I'll, I'll treat you right. And then goes out again and then goes out again and then goes out again. It's the father who goes out to his sons. And he goes to them over and over and over. And he says to the son, come and work in the vineyard with me today. We're going to make some fruit. And out of that fruit is going to come some precious wine. We're going to enjoy the fruits of this together. It's this relationship. It's what I want. I want us to enjoy this, this fruit of the Holy Spirit. This life of the Holy Spirit. This living in the Holy Spirit. And he sets this great vision. And, and then, and then he, he answers, I will not. How do those words set with you when you hear them? I will not. They're rough words. They're tough words. We've said them. And we mean them. I'm not ready. I will not. There's almost more honesty in recognizing ourselves as sinners who refuse the advances of God over and over and over again, because at least we're being honest with what we are and saying, I will not. Notice the response of the father. Do you see response to the first son? Is there any response to the first son? Is there? No. Silence. He just lets it sit with him. And then he moves on. Why? Because the God that we worship is not going to coerce or threaten or cajole or manipulate. He will let Nick stew in his juices for a while. 
And he will let you and I stew in our juices for a while. But while he's doing that, he's creating the space of grace and freedom and integrity. Because that's the only true way that we can ever respond is out of freedom. It's a mystery, isn't it, that that our life is a series of refusals of this grace until at some point the, the, the bottom just falls out. And we recognize our need for a Savior. And it's different for every person. It doesn't always have to be, uh, you know, falling down in the gutter or, or a car wreck. It could be all kinds of ways. Just depending upon who we are. For me, it was that one phrase uh, that Mark Brown said, wherever you go goes the kingdom of God. I realized what a fraud I was. I realized what a sloppy person I was. And I'm still sloppy in some ways. But that was the beginning of a journey and a process of, of, of aligning my life with his. Because the kingdom of God is not a place, but it's a, it's a point of intimacy and similarity. And I got that. And I want to live that out. He creates a space of grace for this first son that's wide and broad. Oh my gosh. Uh, in, in, uh, um, in another parable. He, um, oh yeah. Um, it's in, it's in the parable uh, of the one before, the one I talked about, where uh, you had the landowner doing all that kind of thing, and, and, uh, and, and they're, they're all upset. And he just lets them kind of, okay, if this is what you want, take, take what you have. Take what I promise you, the landowner says in that other parable, and you can go. And that's all you're going to have. You're going to go with that which was promised you and nothing else. No sense of overflowing grace. You would just kind of stew in your own. Jesus, that's what you want. He will let us go our own way, Romans 1 says. Likewise, for this first son, he's creating that place of grace. Because the only way that he can relate to us with integrity is freedom. It's got to be our choice. He will woo. He will woo and he will woo. And he will be generous. And he will give and will give and will give. And our life will sink and sink and sink until this mystery happens at some point. The series of refusals become a, that's all, that's all I've got. I come back. This may happen different times in our life. It may happen more than once. It usually does. Because we go through great transitions in our life. Three or four major transitions. Terry Walling says. Terry Walling, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all are Wallingites? Wallingites, okay. So we go through three or four major transitions in our life. Where God creates, something happens in our life, we feel like we're underwater and God's creating that space for us to kind of get our lives back realigned and reevaluate who we are and reevaluate who God is in our life. That's what we're called to do. I don't care if we're Anglican or Baptist or, or Roman Catholic or whatever. If we're followers of Christ, that's what we do. And so in this passage, he goes and he answers, I will not, but afterward he changed his mind and went. What's the key word in that, in that uh, verse? The word afterward. We all, by God's grace, have an afterward. What did that afterward look like? For me, it was a series of, uh, of events over the next, I don't know, ten years that uh, the afterward just began to really make clear to me, aha, where I go goes the kingdom of God, the nickel drops. That, that's the culmination of the afterward. But the afterward for me was a process. It was a time. It was years yeah, and I believed during those years, but I wouldn't surrender during those years. And, and, and there's a big difference. 
And so, what's the afterward been for you? Already Nick in his young life has, has, a, has an afterward that he can talk about. It could be a key mark. It's a deposit by God in his life. It's a deposit of faith that Nick now knows that can carry him on as he continues to grow in wisdom and maturity. And there very well may be other afterwards in his life. It doesn't mean there has to be a moral downfall. It could just be a, a greater insight about God's kingdom or what God is doing or how God is using me. What's the afterward in your life? You can mark it. You can know it. There may have been several afterwards in your life. John referred to his own afterward in, in his life. And, and uh, I referred to some of mine as well uh, in, the, in those college days. Because I was starting an FCA program one year. The next year I was living much like Nick was uh, uh, in, in not a good relationship. And, and then there was an afterward to that. We all have an afterward. Your kids that you pray about, that you came and talk to me about, pray for an afterward for them. Okay? Right now, let's just stop and do that. Heavenly Father, right now, I just want to stop and through your Holy Spirit, I, I want each, each, if you have kids that you're thinking about, just lift their names up right now and pray for an afterward for them. Just say their names out loud. Everybody knows your kids anyway, so. Whoever these kids are, or grandkids, we pray for an afterward. May they see the space of grace that you've created for them. To turn to you and to know you and to love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Somehow or another. When he went his own way. And during that afterward. It's a sign of a healthy conscience. That he's able to turn back and say yes. After saying no. The loneliness of an aching conscience got Nick. The loneliness of an aching conscience, we pray, gets your kids or gets you or gets other people that you know. Because that aching conscience is something that recognizes that where I am is not going in the right direction. And the Father, He creates the space. He creates the grace. Oh, He'll continue to send people, event and circumstances in people's lives to help them find their afterward. But he doesn't manipulate, he doesn't threaten, he doesn't conjole, he loves and he woos and he gives space of grace. And then he went to the other son and said the same. Notice it's the father that goes out. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Now, the second question in the parable, which of the two did the will of his father? For the chief priests and the religious leaders and the enemies of Jesus, an easy answer. Well, the first, naturally, because he eventually turned around and did the will of the Father. The story could have stopped then, and we would have gotten the point. The story would have stopped then, and I believe that his enemies would have gotten the point. But there's more that needs to be explored and exposed and transformed. And because Jesus loves them enough, he doesn't stop the story there. Because the central issue in the Christian story in our life is how we as rebellious, sin-filled, self-centered people, through God's continued grace and grace and grace, can open up. Jesus still sees a possibility for his strictest enemies to open up before him 
And so now he turns his attention to them to explore and to expose things about their heart so that it could come to the light so they could be transformed. And what he is exposing in one way is simply that one word, the arrogance of these people. Because the flaw of the arrogant, the flaw in the life of the arrogant is that they refuse to learn things from people that they're not like. And these people, these leaders, these Pharisees, these these uh, high and mighty, self-righteous people, they had way too much to give up to say that they needed to be like the pornographers and the tax collectors uh, and the market scam people and the abusers. And what, just name whatever it is that just makes your bones shake and rattle. They had way too much to give up to say that they needed to be like them. And that's exactly what Jesus points out to them to explore and expose the attitude of their hearts. Are our hearts full of self-righteousness and arrogance and pride? Are we able to come to the kingdom to repent just like the deepest enemies you have in your life do at some point in their life and come to Christ and live a new life? Are we able to do that? And, and, and to follow, not to lead, but to follow these people who are coming to the kingdom, who are coming to John the Baptist, the way of righteousness and repenting. Because look, look what Jesus does. It's just so subtle. But he says this, truly, he says in verse uh, 31, I say now to you. See, the story was about a father and two sons. And now he is addressing his audience standing in front of him. I say to you, you people, that they go into the kingdom of God before you. John came in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. And these people did because all they wanted to hear was a word of truth. They would speak into the very uh, bowels of their hearts so that they could know that really they are known by God and as deep as they're known, they're loved and God is calling them and you, by the way, to a life of repentance, to turn around that metanoia. And for, and for most of us, it's a process and, and, and Lord, come and, and show me, light that candle in the depths of my heart, explore and expose those attitudes in my heart, Lord, that, that, that are a barrier to my union with you. Are you envious because I'm generous? Expose that in my heart if it's full of envy. Do I not show forgiveness when I've been forgiven so much? You remember the parable. It's in chapter 18 of Matthew. All these parables. And the one who's forgiven much, right? And he says, oh, oh, master, please, I'll pay you everything. Which he couldn't. I'll pay you everything and please have mercy on me. And he does. And then someone comes, uh, then he goes out and someone comes and owes, up, owes him like, you know, lunch money and says the exact same words please forgive me i'll pay my debt i'm so sorry exact same words that that guy but because of his lack of internal self-awareness he couldn't identify himself in that guy he says i'm not going to forgive you for anything you see what the lack of self-awareness can do with us if we're not careful i'm telling you people will be drawn to a life of people who are transparent and honest and internally self-aware 
of the presence of God in them, self-aware of their humility, self-aware of their brokenness, in touch with the brokenness, and can be honest about that. doesn't mean you have to vomit all over people all the time about what you did in your life. People can see it. You've been around people like that. For, for Mark and Yodi Brown, the people that really had so much to do in our life and faith as, as when I was a lawyer, we, we looked at their life and we said, I want what they have. There is a sense of truth and humility and honesty and wisdom. That's what I want. Now, there's people still starving for that. I know it's harder the more money they have. and I can't help all the you know, money people have or the more stuff they have and all that kind of thing. But still, the wisdom and the humility and walking in that kind of life, that will be attractive to people. And they will say, I want what you have. And you may never hear them say that. But just being in their presence. There's something fruitful about that. And so Jesus then uh, turns to these guys and says, okay, these people are going in before you. And even when you saw it, he says in the last verse, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. In the Eastern church tradition, the church history is so fascinating. And church history is so helpful for us uh, because there are great, Spiritual masters who have talked about the, this whole change of heart that took that takes place. That the first son in his heart it took place, and uh, and what he's wanting to take place in the lives of his enemies because he really believes that they too can be transformed. He really believes that, that there is uh, in the Eastern tradition and the Western tradition too. Uh, there is that uh, what's called um, the tears of grief. Or we might use the word contrition. And I have prayed for the tears of grief for my own sin. Because I need that. I need to recognize how manipulative I can be. I need to recognize how dark I can be. I need to recognize how competitive I can be. I need to recognize how I can compare myself to other people, other things. I need to recognize all these things. And, and I want to search my heart. And, and not all the time, because sometimes I just don't want to do it because I don't want to see it. And sometimes I'm just lazy. And sometimes I just would rather kind of stay in my condition that I'm in and, and you know, kind of get at it another time. But nevertheless, uh, just that sense of the tears of grief. It's a blessing to receive that. One of the early church fathers talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some guy named Simeon the Great or Simeon the New or something. Anyway, he talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not a whole lot of church fathers did, but this is one that did. And he said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes on the heels of the tears of grief. And there's something about this first son. And there's something about this, what Jesus is holding out to to his chief enemies that says... You can be honest now. I'm giving you the space. The environment of grace is already there. His definition or my definition of grace in this kind of space that Jesus creates for them is this. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. That's powerful. That's life-giving. Because you're already loved. And he's going to create that space so that you can be honest and be contrite. And, and, and that's what the Lord looks for is a contrite heart. He doesn't look for sacrifices and offerings and gold and silver. to show me one contrite heart. What did Nick say? Just, just all we need is one. One. 
young person with a contrite heart. And you've got it. You've got it. I love what he said that it's not about all the pizzazz. It's not about all the splash. And that's typically the way many kind of youth groups get going or young adults love the splash. You get the splash and, and all that kind of thing. And, and, uh, but when that's gone, all that goes away because it's pretty much just about emotions. Rather, it's that washing of the word that we teach and disciple our kids to do. and They walk away from it. But by God's grace, they come back to it and they remember it. So I say all that in, in a way of talking about in the spiritual life, pray for the tears of grief. For you and for the world. Andrew Murray. Uh, I don't know if you ever read any of Andrew Murray books. Raise your hand if you have some of Andrew Murray's great spiritual wisdom. Oh my gosh. Uh, South Africa, right? When he in South Africa and, and, uh, um, he was trying to uh, come against this whole Holy Spirit movement and he ended up getting swept up in it and all that. And they would say on Friday nights he would be in his room praying and moaning and groaning. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. He was moaning and groaning about the state of darkness and sin in the world. That's different than cursing the darkness. That's different than always saying, ain't it awful? You've been around people like that? Ain't it awful? Fill in the blank. You've been there yourself? I have. And ain't it awful? And I, yeah. Okay. This is different. This is something deep from the heart. And, and that's why we keep the cross in front of us at all times. So that, so that, uh, that there's that sense of, of um, the moaning and groaning that takes place. The the uh, I told you my story uh, where I said yes, and then I kind of said, nah, not really. <laughs> and and then uh, and then you've heard you know Nick's story, and and then uh, you've heard people who said no, and then they've come back around and maybe the same person. I want to tell you a story about someone who said yes and followed through. <laughs> it's kind of fun. And uh, so I heard this guy speak. I've met him before. His name is Alan Barnhart. He owns Barnhart Crane Company out of Memphis, Tennessee. Tennessee is another state in the United States. It's right there next to Arkansas. And um, anyway, so uh, he, his his parent, his dad, I guess, owned the company. And and uh, he was this guy went to the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. And uh, this Alan guy, and he's about my age. And he found the Lord there and, and became a Christian and living his life for it and saying yes and yes and yes and following through. And and uh, and he began to read scriptures over and over. And he saw in the scriptures there were so many places uh, where Jesus talks about money. This is what Alan told me. He said, he said, Philip, if you talked about money as much as Jesus talked about money, they would kick you out of the church. Because he says more about money uh, and 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 the, and the hold it has on us, and he does anything else in all of the scriptures except the kingdom of God itself, more than prayer, um, you know, more than um, whatever else you think he ought to be talking about. He's talking about money because it has such a hold on us. We know that. So Alan Barnhart is reading the scriptures, growing in his faith, he's maturing, and then he and his brother end up taking over the company from his father. He passes it down, or he dies, or something. I don't know, and. Um, and what they recognize is, is this company really had the potential to make lots and lots and lots of money. So this is a guy that said yes and followed through on his yes by doing this. He said, we, his, he and his brother said to each other, we are going to cap what we make at a certain limit. And we're going to cap it and leave it at that limit for the rest of our lives. It'll be comfortable, but it's not going to be luxurious. We need tools. He, he, he drew the distinction between tools and toys. We don't need toys. 
like adult grown-up toys. We need tools. Well, I need a car. We need a house. We need, you know, education for the kids and all that. So but we're going to cap this thing so that his yes, being his yes, being his yes, so that we can give away a million dollars a month from the profits of the company to missions both in the United States and overseas. And they have specific criteria of what the missions are to be about. Now, there's a guy who said yes and followed through on his yes. He and his brother, this past year, they gave away 15 million dollars. Okay. So we can say yes and follow through on that yes. It actually is possible. And so the question that kind of comes back to you and to me is that, all right, I said yes and I didn't follow through on it. I still look back on that in those days of college and the FCA program I wanted to start and thinking, wow, if I'd had anywhere near the spiritual life that I have now, what, what could have happened from that? Because the FCA program never got started at Swanee that I'm aware of. But, I remind myself, give up the hope of ever having a better past. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and so, the hold on to the hope of always having a better future. Um, as I shared this with you, it's, it's a story that I shared with my church this past Sunday. And there's a series of parables in the Gospel of Matthew that bring about um, what I like to say, that presence of God that explores and exposes the things in us that we still need to ask forgiveness for and move into. In this case, it was arrogance of the enemies of Christ. In other cases, it was the envy of the laborers who were hired and said, oh, wow. And then Jesus says, are you enemies of my generosity? In another place, it's the lack of forgiveness. It's all this community teaching uh, that Jesus is doing. And the parable for this Sunday is the tenants who keep, you know, God keeps, or the owner of the vineyard keeps sending people, you know, finally sends his son and, and, and the uh, uh, servants or the tenants keep killing each one of them. And finally they killed the son because of greed it's much more than just greed. But, but you see these kinds of things that Jesus is showing us in the Scripture that can re- read these parables and allow them to explore and expose the things in our life, bring them to the light so that we can be healed and be transformed and be more kingdom-minded people. So as I close uh, tonight, I hold that out in front of you uh, to recognize how God creates that space of grace. When we say no, and then he walks on and then leaves us time to turn around. I thank the word for tonight. Pray for your children. This is just a providential moment because I heard the comments from so many of you today and yesterday. Happened to meet Nick yesterday. Who would have thought? Not coincidence. God moving. Pray for your children. And let's commit and dedicate maybe the rest of this retreat Praying for your children tonight when you go to bed. I'm sure you pray for them all these times anyway. Tomorrow when you wake up and throughout the worship tomorrow and things of that nature. And as you read God's word, it's not a spectator sport. It's something that we're to be involved in and to see ourselves wrapped up in. So that not only does he expose and explore the things in in his audience and whoever that may be. But he does it in you and me as well. Amen. Heavenly Father, now we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of your word, for the grace of your word, and for the calling out of your word tonight, as we just heard, that you do call us out. Call us out not, not to hurt us or 
damage us or be mad at us or out of control at us, but rather to transform us, to explore us, to expose things in our hearts that we can give up to you. We can find then a real peace and the testimony that we can give to other people. Lord God, continue to fill these people with your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for, for more healings, more prophetic words, and more of you. And again, to hear the words of Jesus, follow me. In Jesus' name, amen.